Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Oh, yes! Welcome back to another episode of Tube Talk presented by vidIQ. I am your host, Viper, the man about tech. Executive producer here at the IQ, and that title just changed recently. I'll get into that in a minute. But first, I want to shout out my Tube Talk people out there, those of y'all who tweet at it at IQ using the hashtag Tube Talk. First on the list is uh, Jeff, the Colorado whiskey guy, uh, telling me congratulations on how my great, uh, my personality is a great addition to Bit IQ, and he always looks forward to listening to Tube Talk. Uh, Jeff, I appreciate you, sir. Thank you so, so much. Next up, we have the Orland Dave. Uh, he's listening to Tube Talk episode 331, and he's uh, commenting about how he did not know that desktop mode was a thing for YouTube studio. Uh, Dave, I'm glad that the podcast can provide you some value and that you can learn something. That is really what I try to do with this podcast. I try to go into the, uh, the more nuanced aspects of being a content creator and understanding YouTube and how it works. So, I'm glad that you guys are finding value in the podcast. So, Orland, Dave, thank you for listening to the Tube Talk. I appreciate you guys. So, I just alluded to a moment ago that uh, my job title has kind of changed. So, today, after the recording of this intro to this podcast, which is September 13th, 2022, uh, today is actually my one-year anniversary with vidIQ. I cannot believe it's already been a year since I've been working for vidIQ. This has been the best job of my entire life. I have fun coming on here every week talking to you guys via Tube Talk. I love interacting with you and reviewing your channels on the live streams on our YouTube channel and just talking to you guys and interacting with you on Twitter. And speaking of Twitter and the social media, uh, I did say that my job title has changed because it has a little bit. So I am still executive producer at vidIQ, but as of September 1st, 2022, I am now the executive producer of social media at vidIQ. So it's now official. I've been doing a job for a while now, but it is now official. Uh, I am basically the head of social media at vidIQ. So when you interact with us on Twitter or Instagram or the Facebook, I'm probably the person that you are interacting with since I'm in charge of all of that. So I appreciate all of you guys interacting with our social media channels each and every day. I love talking to you all, asking you guys questions and getting your feedback. I'm sorry I can't run. I sorry I can't respond to all of y'all. There's just so many of you all across all our channel, but I do try to uh, heart your comments. And every now and then I will try to respond and interact. And you guys know on Thursdays I do the one hour session where I will uh, give you feedback on your thumbnails on Twitter. So I try to do the best I can, but I'm covering multiple social media accounts for vidIQ, and it's not the easiest thing in the world trying to keep up with the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of people that we have rocking with us but i am sincerely thankful for you guys i am sincerely thankful for the opportunity to work with vidIQ and at vidIQ so thank you guys for being here for me and thank you for being here and supporting vidIQ and everything that we do on today's podcast i have a a successful creator who recently went full-time early this year he's been doing youtube for almost three years now he started in the pandemic in 2020 uh his name is mark ellis he does tech review but we're going to talk to him today about his journey and the things that he learned being uh, going from a hobbyist YouTuber to a full-time creator and doing that in two years because I know that's the goal of many of you all who listen to the podcast. You want to 
start YouTube with the end goal of becoming a full-time creator. So me and Mark are going to talk about that ad nauseum on the podcast today. There's a lot of good gems and nuggets to be had. So hopefully you got your pen and paper ready to listen and learn because there's a lot of good things that Mark relays in his journey. And he talked about it on the podcast. So without further ado, let me shut up, bring in Mark Ellis, and let's roll to the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Tube Talk presented by vidIQ. And this week, I am joined by former full-time employee turned full-time YouTube creator, tech reviewer, Mark Ellis is here in the building. What's up, sir? How you doing? What an intro. Thanks, Viper. It's, I was just saying to you just before we started recording how surreal it is talking to you, because you're normally in my ears when I'm working out at the gym <laughs> or walking the dog. So to be sat here looking at you, it's great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for making the time. And it's always cool when I get people that actually listen to the podcast, when I can actually get them as guests on here. It's actually a cool experience for me, too. So I appreciate you again making the time. So thank you, Mark. No problem at all. I love this show. I've learned a lot from it, as you'll probably find out. But uh, yeah, lovely to be on. Absolutely. We will definitely get into some of that later on in the podcast. But the first question I got to ask you, Mark, is what brought you to YouTube? Depends if you want the long version or the, the kind oh, of... Oh, this is the podcast. We got to have the long version, baby. We got to have the long version. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. And I think, so I suppose just to cut quickly to where I am now. I mean, I started the channel back in 2020, like a lot of people did back wow, then, okay. for various reasons. And we're at about 75,000 subscribers now and about 500k views per month. So it's it's really grown quite quickly. And it, that doesn't surprise anyone more than me, really. But in terms of how I got here, I think like I've listened to lots of the interviews you've done, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts like this. I think most YouTubers say the same thing, which is you never set out to be a YouTuber, or very few people do. I think a few kids these days probably do, although they, they've oh, got yeah. a, a bit of a shock coming. But from my perspective, I spent 15, 16 years at the same place. So I worked for you know, inverted commas, the man, and kind of worked my way up from being a kind of ground floor support operative up to being in the boardroom, uh, only for quite a small company. But that kind of grew me as a, as a human and, uh, you know, kind of taught me about life and work and all that sort of stuff. And then in 2015, I left that business and started my own kind of consultancy slash external marketing thing that I did. And I think what's happened is that sort of unwittingly, I've kind of developed all these skills, all these what seem to be unconnected skills that have come together to start this YouTube brand. So it's stuff like, you know, the, the kind of marketing side of stuff that I've done in the past, even sales, that kind of thing. But then the more obvious things like videography, I did videography for quite a bit freelance. I've been interested in audio and audio production. I've been involved in that most of my life, actually, and music production and that sort of stuff. Storytelling. I'm a writer before a, a YouTuber, really. So all of this stuff has kind of come together. And I remember being in, in 2020, just after the pandemic hit, um, I was in the in the garden with my girlfriend and I just turned to her and said, I'm going to start this YouTube channel. Why not? We've got more time. Let's, let's get on with it. And that's what I did. And I did it alongside everything else I was doing for a couple of years, actually, just under and got to the point towards the end of last year. I was basically putting 50% of my time into YouTube and 50% into everything else. And that was quite lucrative, you know, not being around the bush. There was some good money coming in. But I knew that if I only had my foot halfway down on the accelerator with YouTube, I just thought, what can I do if I put it all the way down? And I decided to go full time back in February, I think this year, not long before um, we've just had our first son. So um, if you pick bad times to do this uh, or interesting times, it's probably now. So yeah, I, I basically kind of peeled off all the old contracts and things that I used to do, which was a very big decision. I didn't take it lightly at all, particularly with a kid on the way, and eventually picked a time to just to go for it. And that's what I did. Wow. So there's a lot to unpack there. I want to start with, let's start with the basics, right? 
a lot of people make the decision to become a content creator on YouTube. But I don't think most people have the experience that you had prior to starting a channel. I just wrote them down. You were in sales, marketing, you were in videography, you were in audio production, you were a writer or you are a writer. I should say you are because you're still doing all these things for being a YouTuber. But before you made a channel, you were involved in all of those things. And some of those things are very critical to what we do as YouTubers and content creators. So mm-hmm. just talk about the advantages having those skills already probably gave you over most beginning YouTubers. Because again, most creators don't start with that type of skill set like you do. No, it's right. And I think, like I say, a lot of that was just serendipitous. Really. I didn't plan this at all. I've always been fascinated by filmmaking, for instance. I, I love watching and analysing. My, my girlfriend hates me the way that I watch TV because I'm always talking about rack focusing and stuff. And she, you know, <laughs> I'm surprised she's still with me, really. But I've always been interested in that stuff. But I, I didn't plan any of this to end up as a YouTube channel. I think what's happening now, like I mentioned a moment ago, I think a lot of kids, understandably, are looking at creators and things and thinking, I want to do that. I want to get into, I want to I leave college, leave university and start my own creator journey what, on whatever platform that might be. But you've just summed it up, really, because that isn't going to work. You've, unfortunately, the, the kind of hard truth with this is that you've got to put the mileage in beforehand. If I had started this 10 years ago, even five years ago, actually, to be honest, it wouldn't have grown as quickly. And the reason for that is because I've learned, I've made loads of mistakes in, in my life in terms of work. I've had some successes. I've learned from other people. I'm sure, like yourself, I watch YouTube more than anything else. I'm obsessed with it, obsessed with certain creators on there. So I think, yeah, back to your question, I think building those skills, I think one of the most important to give any kind of advice on this is writing. I think you you don't have to be a brilliant writer at all. You just have to be able to craft a story. If you can do that with written word, you can become a YouTuber, you can become a content creator, even on TikTok, on Instagram, whatever you want to do. But I do think you need some life experience first. I think it really helps because, yeah, and and going full time with it, you really appreciate that. This this is the hardest job I've, I've ever had, but it would be a lot harder if I did it 10 years ago. Yeah, it's funny that you say that you feel like you wouldn't have had the success if you started earlier. And I, I definitely believe you because, again, with the skills that you were able to gain before you started your channel, obviously very critical. But if you would have started early, you would have more time to gain those skills as you were being a content creator. So it kind of worked both ways. And a lot of creators, and myself included, always say that we wish we would have started sooner because that's the big thing. <laughs> but I want to uh, touch on something else that you just said. You said you watched a lot of YouTube. Now, when you tell me that you watched a lot of YouTube before you became a creator, I get the sense from the way you said that, that you don't watch YouTube or you didn't watch YouTube just to watch for entertainment. You were watching it with the purpose, with the intent purpose of learning what works as a YouTube creator and what doesn't work. So talk to us about the things that you learned from your watching YouTube that aided in your being a YouTube creator yourself. Yeah, you got it in one. So I did watch it for entertainment, partly, obviously, and to learn things. But I got to the stage not long before I started the channel where I was really analyzing what they were doing. You know, I wasn't taking notes and stuff. I was just, you know, end of the night before going to bed, I'd sit down and watch. I'd basically binge on Casey Neistat or Peter McKinnon, all the usual suspects, really. I think one of the biggest lessons I learned, I know it's a bit of a cliche, he always comes up, but he has to, which is Casey again, was the fact that his production style is really rough at times. You know, he's using cameras that he throws around, they fall off things. Even his audio isn't that good at times, and you know, things are overblown, but you cannot stop watching him. And I remember, I remember sitting there thinking, why is that? Why, can I, why do I just keep getting to bed too late because I keep watching his videos? And it's because he's such a good storyteller. And I don't think there's many people as good as him. Yeah, I, I miss him. I, he pops up occasionally. I, I do miss him a lot. But um, yeah, people like him. And I think because also because I've got a bit of a videography background, I've, I've loved taking photos my entire life. I'm very kind of into that side of things. 
Peter McKinnon has been a big inspiration for that as well. So I looked at him from another perspective where he puts a lot of time and effort into shots and things. But again, you strip all that stuff back and it's all about storytelling, which is what I'm all about and creating these kind of narratives throughout the, throughout the, the video. Okay, so multiple times already throughout the podcast, you've alluded to story and storytelling. So tell the listener what the storytelling means to you. So for me, so I, obviously I'm in tech. So I, I sit here and talk about headphones and you know laptops and things like that, which thousands of other people do. So to yeah. stand out with that, you've got to build a, like I say, a narrative around it, really. I mean, I've not invented this at all. This is used in Hollywood. It's used in everything, uh, anything where you know a, a producer of a piece of content wants to keep people engaged. So you hook them in with something which you know is bothering them. So whether or not they've perhaps, you know, they, they want to spend X amount of money on a pair of headphones, but they're worried that they've got to spend three times that because they've, they've read something somewhere. You start with that, you've got them straight away. And then you build into that with a bit of an intro and you kind of expand on what you're promising you're going to deliver. And then you go into this kind of value section where you, you really you do deliver on what you promised right at the start. And then right at the end of it, you finish off. You, obviously, you don't. You want to keep people on your channel so you make sure they go to another video, etc. But you, you have this arc going through it where the, the person starts confused, worried, upset about something. And by the end of it, they're happier, happy, happy as Larry's, we'd say. And you know, they, they kind of click the unsubscribe button and, and they're with you then at that point. So, um, and, and doing that's very difficult. I've not perfected it at all. I'm, I'm still making mistakes. But yeah, that's kind of how I look at storytelling, really. So, like you said, because I do text content myself, so I know all about trying to like, make a tech video and try to get people engaged from beginning to end. So you started off with something very interesting that we've heard on the podcast before. And you said that when somebody clicks on your video, you make sure to deliver on the click immediately with what that thing is that they click for. And then you hope they get to the end of the video after that. So my question to you, Mark, is after you deliver immediately on a click, what are you doing storytelling element wise to keep their viewer engaged from the point that you deliver on a click to get them to the end of the video? I think conversely with this, what I've, I've learned over the last sort of 18 months is that all of that pretty much happens in the edit so i'll, I'll sit here and I, I can i can end up with a roll that is last i did one the other day actually that i'd been away for holiday and i came back i was a bit rusty sat here for about an hour really struggled with the a roll and by the time i'd finished with it i just thought that was horrible you know that i'm gonna have to redo that put it into final cut pro and it was one of the best videos I'd, I've, I've made i think personally by the time i'd finished with it and the reason it was is because as i say over the last 18 months two years i've learned that you have to keep cutting cut and cut and cut until you think you've cut too much and then you cut a bit more and the reason for that is that people don't hang around i think it's a bit of a you know kind of short form tiktok world that we live in now which i invest time in myself as well so i know what i know what's going through people's heads they haven't got time and you can get lost in down these little cul-de-sacs where you start waffling on about stuff i think i'm getting better now at cutting that out but then even cutting things out, which I, I would like to keep in there from a pride perspective, but I know that actually it doesn't deliver any value. So basically, go back to your question, anything that doesn't have value goes, and that can be quite painful sometimes. There's a term for that, it's called killing your darlings. And I know yes. exactly what you're talking about because I've tried to do a, more with my content myself where I look back and I go through the edit and I'm like, I repeat myself, cut. Yeah. Or I'm trying to do a little flashy thing where I add some personality, but it doesn't really add value to the content, cut. Yeah. So all those things that don't really add to the value perspective from a viewer that, you know, sometimes we do as creators because we're trying to get cute or we want to put our own style on it, but it doesn't add any substance to the video, cut. And yeah. it's hard. It's hard because obviously we're prideful and we are, you know, we can be narcissistic as creators. You kind of have to have a little bit of narcissism to be a creator. Otherwise, you're not going to last long. But at the same time, you have to be respectful of the viewer. So mm -hmm. cutting out the things that are unnecessary in a video and making sure that it's tight, 
but it still offers the relevant value for a viewer. So I, I completely agree with you. The challenge I have with that is that most of my videos start as blogs. So I te- the, the production process is I write the blog first, that goes onto my website, onto Medium, and normally that will then be turned into a video script. But it is pretty much left as it is, just put into bullet point form. The problem with that is that the blog post might be 1,500 words long. No one wants to see me sat there talking 1,500 words. That would take 40 minutes. It's the most boring thing in the world. So you start with that. I think, again, this comes back to how much time is involved in creating this content that people don't all, I didn't when I got went into it, don't fully appreciate. There's so much stuff that's left on the cutting room floor, whether it's A-roll, B-roll, bits of the script. You end up with this thing at the end. And going back to the Casey Neistat thing, his, the examples of his videos are just the perfect, normally the perfect bit that is left. He's kept, all, that's all he's kept, no fat. Definitely. Look, as YouTube creators ourselves, we've all been there. Sometimes the next video on your weekly upload schedule is right around the corner, but you have no idea what you're going to record. Well, this exact situation is why vidIQ developed Daily Ideas. It's our newest tool that can help provide you with up to 50 new video ideas every single day. Your daily ideas are generated by our AI, which analyzes your channel and the wider YouTube community to find trending topics with high view potential. With this new tool, you'll never run out of great ideas for new videos. You can try daily ideas for yourself today by downloading vidIQ at vidIQ.com. So I want to go back to the beginning. You said that you started YouTube in 2020 and you just went full-time at the beginning of this year in February. So that's a little over two years that it took you to go from just being a hobbyist creator to now you are a full-time YouTuber. So I guess I'm curious, how long into the journey from when you first uploaded your first video, how long did it take you before you realized that you had something potentially special on your hands and that uh, maybe I can do this YouTube thing full-time? Like, How long into the journey did that take you to realize that you had something going on here? I think it was probably about 18 months in, I think. I think even after a year, I think at that stage I had about about 10,000 subs or something, 15,000, something like that, which seemed like quite a lot. And um, when I first started out right at the start, I kind of set myself a goal of about 10 years. I thought it would take me about 10 years. I'll get to the age of 50 and that I'll be able to perhaps have this as a, some kind of full-time gig. But it kind of happened much quicker than that. So I think to put a number around it, it was roughly about 50k Uh, subs I think but it wasn't just the subs I keep saying subs it wasn't just that it was also the revenue so I built this as a business right from the start I wasn't just interested in creating this as a a hobby it was supposed to be a revenue generating thing and I had a bit of a figure in my mind I think what what kind of tipped the scales was that I looked at the first full year of revenue from this brand and it matched the revenue of my own business that I started in 2015 when that first went incorporated we're not talking massive sum at all, but it was just the way that matched up was this big light bulb moment. I thought, hang on, <laughs> I'm only doing 50% of the time with this at the minute. And the wonderful thing about this game, as you know, is that there's no real ceiling. You know, you can you can keep yeah. going. So that they were the kind of numbers that were kind of kind of tipped me over, I suppose. Okay. I want to go back to something that you said that I feel like it's critical, especially for newer creators. You just said that you built your channel as a business from the beginning. So for new creators out there that aren't necessarily familiar with that type of lingo. What does that mean? What did you do to set it up as a business from the very beginning? So, I mean, I didn't create a business plan. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at creating business plans. I start them like most people and then leave them and forget about them. 
But what I did do is get a, buy a notebook and I spent a good few weeks noting down everything, noting down things like what would I want in my studio, which used to be the back bedroom? You know, what gear do I need? Who should I be watching? Who am I, not competitors, but who should I be watching in the same niche? What do I need to learn? What am I not good at? What am I good at? Et cetera, et cetera. So I built this kind of rule book, which kind of got me into a place where, like I said, not a business plan, but it was a, a bit of a strategy about what I want, what I'd needed to do. And then I even went as far as having things like a, a basic kind of forecast in terms of what would I be spending each month? You know, how much would it cost to get in some of the gear that I needed? Could I forecast potentially things like sponsorships? I had no idea what I was doing back then, Viber at all. I mean, looking back, it's embarrassing. But I went in it with this mindset of thinking, this isn't just for fun. I remember I had mates who'd say to me, I told them what I was doing and they said, oh, you're obviously just doing this to get free laptops and stuff, aren't you? And I'd kind of sit them down and say, no, no I've got no interest in getting free. I love tech, that's why I do it, but um, that's not the reason I'm doing this. It's to build a business. More importantly, it's to build a sustainable business that can grow and that at some stage I can pull back from a little bit and continue you know, feeding the family and living the lifestyle we want to live. That's obviously in the distance. But So, so I don't want to make it sound like it was really structured and... Um, you know, I wasn't having board meetings with myself or anything like that. But um, I, I was just, I went to it with some structure, which I've added to over time. And the big thing I've done really, I suppose, is create very robust processes. I just know from my time in my other business and in, in the business that I worked for for all that time that processes are so important. If you get a good process in place for making a video or doing whatever it is that you need to do and you're consistent with it, you keep turning up, you're golden really. I just want to dig a little bit more deeper into this. So obviously you said that you didn't create a master business plan like like you're some type of CEO at a, a venture capital company. No. <laughs> but when you tell me that you set your channel up as a business, I'm thinking to myself, he had a plan to make money with his YouTube channel. Yep. So I'm going to assume that's what you meant. So I got to ask you, like, what revenue streams or what revenue potential did you see in the beginning when you first started your channel? Like, how did you figure you were going to make money when you first started? Okay, so so again, I was kind of inspired by someone else, and um, I'm sure you know who he is, Ali Abdol. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think most people listening to this know who he is, a UK a YouTuber. I discovered him around about the same sort of time. I think, in fact, I think it was when I was researching other people doing the sort of stuff that I wanted to do. I found him back then and completely got lost in his content. And what I loved about him was that he he shared his revenue streams, so he was very very open about how he was making money and making a lot of money. And I've kind of taken a bit of a template from him so i could see that there was adsense but equally that that was very very unpredictable all over the place you know spiky and dippy and all the rest of it and then there was sponsorships you know online learning skillshare classes patreon all these different things and then the the importance of growing your own email list which can then be used to you can monetize that at some stage so I, i kind of worked out that there were about six or seven income streams i thought i could kind of eventually tap into I suppose the first one to kind of really kick into gear, there were two. There was uh, obviously AdSense once I got to the 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 hours of watch time. And then there's Medium, which I know isn't related to video creation, but Medium is the second biggest income stream or most consistent income stream for this business alongside YouTube, AdSense and sponsorships, basically. And Medium, just very quickly, is a if people don't know, it's a blogging website, huge, you know, started by Ev Williams of Twitter. And they've got a very good partner program on there. You write, they share revenue with you, away you go. So that and AdSense to begin with were the first things that started to make money. Okay, so now I'm, I'm curious about the Medium because I know I looked at your Twitter profile and you wrote an ebook on how to uh, make money on Medium. But how did you make that tie in with your YouTube channel? So it goes back to the thing of me creating the blogs first. So that production process of blog video. So the blog actually goes onto my website first. So I, I retain the original SEO goodness for it, if you like. 
Now, Medium has a really cool import tool where you can import your blog from your website into Medium, but your blog retains the SEO. It has that canonical link thing. So it's in two different places. So I can technically earn revenue from the website post through AdSense, but also I can earn from the Medium Partner Program. And you have to tweak the article a little bit on Medium, you know, change the headline and that sort of stuff. But it can work really well, to be honest, Viper. And this is why I say that I think writing it should be an important part of a creator's journey because there are these other avenues where you can do very well out of it. And I don't mind sharing this because it's in the ebook. You know, my, my Medium profile earns consistently over $2,000 a month. And that is right. It's writing Monday to Friday. There's a lot of writing that goes into this. But I find that very easy. It's, it's come second nature to me. That's kind of where that falls into it as well. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, uh, we always talk about creators having alternate sources of income and revenue when it comes to having a YouTube channel. Like you said, you don't want to just depend on AdSense because it fluctuates. It's up and down. You don't know if it's going to be high one month, low the next month. You don't want to base your entire business off AdSense because that's just <laughs> that's recipe for disaster. So it's always nice to have other streams of revenue, whether it be Patreon, sponsorship, or courses. But I wanted to get to another one that you mentioned, email list. Talk about how creators can make money off of email. Because I've, I've heard people talk about email lists before, but never in a way that you, they could be used to generate revenue per se. Yeah, so I was supposed to clarify with that. So I have a mailing list now. It's, it's approaching 2,000 uh, members on it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get every week, they get a private video, which sounds a bit weird. Uh, they get as in private YouTube video. It's just me sat here really talking about all sorts of stuff, behind the scenes things few personal things i occasionally create a vlog for them to to, they can see that as well but it's just for them they just get that at the moment it's not monetized so i haven't monetized that list at all Uh, those videos aren't sponsored i turn off adsense i respect that audience basically because they are giving me the most valuable thing as far as i'm concerned which is their email address i've got to earn that trust and um Interestingly, that video is every every week because it goes through YouTube. I get to see the analytics for it, and it's the highest in terms of um, engagement. You know, the, the retention on it is ridiculous, and I know people get right to the end, and a lot of them do because I say at the end of it, if you've got this far, stick an emoji into the comments. So they're very very engaged. It's that thousand true fans thing, which I'm sure you know about. You know, if you can find a thousand true fans, you're onto something basically. Even the fans is a bit of a strange word. I still find that a bit uncomfortable saying that. But yeah, so I haven't monetized that at all yet, but there are ways that it has benefited me. So the, the ebook I mentioned a moment ago, the, the Medium ebook, I've talked about that on the newsletter and that has sold really well through that means. So people who are on the newsletter list hear about the ebook, they hopefully trust me and they go off and buy it, which is fantastic. And, and I'm delivering them value. I mean, all this talk about revenue, I'm under no illusion. I have to deliver value for this, whether it's that kind of thing or people who have signed up to Patreon. But I think the newsletter, I think it's the, one of the most important things you can do. And it, it's the sort of thing you can start right from the start. You know, or you create an account on MailChimp or ConvertKit or something. Stick that into your description for your videos. And people will start to sign up. But it's a long burn. It's a, it, well, sorry, a slow burn in terms of turning that into some kind of revenue generator. Yeah, I think that's the big thing with a lot of creators. Some of them, I shouldn't say a lot, but some of them come onto the platform wanting to make a quick buck or get rich quick or get famous quick and... <laughs> Even you uh, uh, said a comment at the beginning of the podcast, like you said that kids have a shot coming when they come on a YouTube. So elaborate on that. Well, what you meant by that? Because I know what you meant, but why don't you tell me what you meant by the kids have a shot coming when they come on the YouTube? So <laughs> the reason I said that is because I've got a friend who um, he's a primary school teacher here over in the UK. I said to him, what do kids want to do these days? Because when I was at school, God, God, 30 years ago, we all wanted, you know, we wanted to be footballers or classic firemen or you know, film directors, all this sort of stuff. These days, he said literally all of them, and these are primary school kids, little kids, yeah. they all want to be YouTube stars. 
And he said, and he'll say to them, "So, what are you going to do when you grow up, then, uh, Timmy? What your name is?" And he'll say, "Oh, I'm going to play computer games and film myself doing it and make loads of money." And you and I know that's not quite how it works, uh, particularly in the, in the computing game niche. But I think, joking apart, it's so much work. And I was thinking about this before we started talking, actually, that this is the hardest job I've ever had by a, a long shot. But it's the most rewarding as well. Mm-hmm. So you work long hours. It never really feels that comfortable either. You mentioned a moment ago about the kind of peaks and troughs that you get with things like AdSense. And the same thing happens with sponsors. You know, you might have a fantastic month of sponsors one month, and the next month, you know, what happens next month? Because if it's just you doing it as well, you've got to be the video producer, you've got to be the writer, you've got to be the accountant, you've got to be the salesperson, the marketing person. There's so many things to do. So yeah, I think kind of going into this, like you say, with the mindset that I'm going to make loads of money out of this, or I'm going to be famous, whatever your goal is, that certainly isn't my goal. You've just got to really... Again, this comes back to getting some life, life skills, life experience, going out and doing a normal, boring job, working for someone else, because you'll appreciate this more when you do that as well. Yeah, I agree with you. YouTube is definitely one of the hard things I've done as a creator. Like there's just so much to it besides just making videos and putting them out. Mm-hmm. Like that, you got to be the writer, the editor, the marketer, the promoter. Man, you have to do so many things and wear so many hats. And you can't suck, okay? You can't just do the stuff half-baked. You got to be actually somewhat competent at doing this stuff. Otherwise, you're not going to get any trash. So I do I, suck at some of it, though. That's the, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. You got you to you be competent. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. So that kind of leaves me or segues me into my next question. And multiple times throughout the podcast, you said that you've been successful because you've had some uh, life lessons behind you. You are currently 41 years old. I am 41 years old. I started my YouTube channel when I was 38 or 37, wow. I think. 38, yep. 37, whatever. And you started your, I think when you were 39. So talk about trying to be relevant on a platform and be successful on a platform that really caters to younger kids, like teenagers and 20 something and up to being 40 and still having success on the platform. Like there is room for old people. I seen calls, no, but there are room for 30s and 40 something on YouTube. So talk about like that aspect of it. Because again, I think that's a cool aspect because YouTube is seen as a younger person's game. And no, that's not necessarily true. We're so old, Viprami. We're so, so old. <laughs> <laughs> it's why I don't understand TikTok. That's why I'm so late to the game with that. Yeah. Something else I was thinking earlier is that I wondered if I'd kind of entered this too late for that very reason. Um, you know, you see people like Marcus Brownlee, who I think he's only about 28 still. He's yep. so young and so talented. And, he, and he's been on the platform for 10 years. Yep. <laughs> Can't get your head around it. And yeah, I think coming up against that when you're our, our sort of age, and we are pretty much the exactly the same age, actually. So you know how it feels. But what I've learned is that you just be yourself, really. And I've had lots of luck along the way. I think you, ha- you have to have luck, but you have to put yourself in the place where luck will find you, if that makes sense. But one of the biggest things, it, I don't mind talking about it, but I do still find it a bit odd, is people seem to like my voice, you know, which anyone who knows me, I come from a place called Northampton in, in the UK, which and I don't mind saying this publicly because I'm from there. It's got one of the worst accents ever. Uh, thankfully, I don't have that accent. Sorry, Northampton people. But I think I have a very kind of neutral accent. And for some reason, people seem to really like it, which I do find a bit uncomfortable. It's not why I started the channel. I don't like the sound of my own voice. I hate editing my voice. I don't know if you have this vibe. But if you hear yourself, you think, oh, but people like it. And that's been something that seems to have separated me apart, really. But it's, it's come from being myself. I don't know if you find the same thing, but the older you get, the less you care what people think, really. I found when I got into my 40s, you think, well, the next big birthday is 50, then it's 60. You're not here for long. Just do it. Just get on with it. And it, what's the worst that can happen? I love that. Just, just do it, man. And you make a good point about being yourself. It's so funny because I'm on a platform and I'm trying to deliver tech as only I can deliver tech. You know, uh, I don't know if you ever watch any of my tech videos, but they're not the normal yeah. tech, typical tech videos. So, great. 
I try to act like I'm a WWE superstar, kind of promo <laughs> and things like that with the WWE voice. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But the funny thing is that when I started hosting this podcast back in October, I mean, obviously, some people knew me from my YouTube before I started working at VIQ. But what I can't believe since I've been hosting this podcast is how many kids listen to it. I mean, I guess it makes sense because as we talked about earlier, a lot of young people want to be in a YouTube. But on this podcast, I try to get into the more nuanced aspects of being a creator. Things like businesses and revenue and income sources and all that stuff. Stuff that's not that exciting to kids. But I hear that I have seven and eight-year-olds listening to this podcast. The very podcast as an eight-year-old listening that's to this podcast right now. Yeah. And it just blows my mind. And it comes back to what you said. I'm just out here being myself. I'm being Viper. I mean, I can't be anybody else but me. You know, if the young people rock with me, that's cool. But if they don't, then that's fine too. But I found that over my five years or almost five years of being a creator, just being myself, a lot of people gravitated towards me, including younger folks. So there's a lot to like just coming on here and being yourself and your people will find you. I love the fact that you've got kids that young listening. Mark, I cannot believe you. I was shocked. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's really encouraging, I think, because if they're listening to podcasts like this, they're clearly thinking, I need to, like I was saying earlier, that they need to hear from other people who have done this, who have treaded in the footpath they want to tread themselves. I think that's really encouraging to hear that. Going back to what my friend said about all kids just want to make money from playing computer games online. Clearly, that isn't quite the case. I think kids are smart enough, aren't they, to think, no, I need to learn a bit of stuff here. So that's amazing. I'm really glad that's the case. Oh, yeah. And kids are smart. Kids are very smart in savvy days. They're a lot more knowledgeable of what's going on in the world. A big part of that might be due to social media and the amount of information that we have at our fingertips. But kids are no dummies, man. They're out here. They're learning about Patreon. They're learning about merchandise and doing different things like that to make money because they know that you got to have different sources of income if you want to have a sustainable business. And they're learning this stuff at a young age these days. And they're not messing around out here. No, it's the best time to learn it is really early. Definitely. So as I was looking at your channel and looking at the content that you do, obviously you're a tech reviewer, so a man of my own heart. (laughs) So you, actually, you and me both, I think we do uh, something that I refer to as a seasonal content. Right now we are entering Apple season. The iPhone dropped this Friday. Last month was Samsung season because they dropped their new phones. So talk to us about how you go through the seasonal rotations of content, because this does not just apply to tech. This applies to probably many other niches out there on YouTube, but you have to understand the seasons of the niche that you're in in order to make sure that your content is always relevant to the current time that you're doing it and the topics and things like that. Yeah, well, the funny story about that, I've, I've really screwed up this one, to be completely honest. I don't mind admitting this on this podcast. So basically, uh, as you say, the, these are seasons, and we, we know that September there's going to be a new iPhone, pretty yeah. much. October, there's going to be new Macs probably as well, or November possibly. I know that better than anyone, better than anyone that near me anyway. And um, basically back in, I think, August or so, maybe July, I started to get some really interesting sponsor opportunities. And I started saying yes to a lot of them, way too many of them, and just started booking them into the calendar, into my, into my content calendar. And then had two holidays come up that we kind of delayed since COVID. So all this stuff kind of came up at once. And I remember being on holiday and looking at my content calendar and thinking, I've left no room at all for Apple stuff, for the iPhone 14, for Mac stuff in October. And it caused a real issue. Hopefully you can't see the result of it too much on the channel, but there are, that's why occasionally over the last two or three weeks, there have been a, you know, I've reviewed a chair. I've done a dedicated re- review of, a, of an office chair alongside talking about the Apple Watch Ultra. And what it's taught me is that, that you've got to be very careful during these seasonal periods, balancing sponsored content with what I'd call growth content. So yeah, the videos that I'm putting out this week are growth content. Most of them aren't sponsored, and they're, but they're about things like the iPhone 14, the new Apple Watches, really highly trending stuff. And as a result of that, touch wood, 
they do pull in the views. Whereas the sponsored things keep the lights on in the studio. They put food on the table for the family, but they don't bring in a big audience, generally speaking, unless you're very, very lucky. And they don't attract more subscribers, really. So I messed up with that completely. But that's a learning curve. And I know now, next year, you know, come for, for March, for instance, that, that's another busy period for, for Apple stuff. I know to be very careful to leave the diary empty. <laughs> Because you know this, you've got to turn this stuff on a sixpence. You know, if, if Apple has an event, I come away from that event with potentially 15 video ideas. I've got to have space to put all that stuff in and all the blogs yeah. in, in as well. So, Yeah, I like how you said that. <laughs> you made it that you, you made a mistake about how you uh, scheduled out your content because you can use that as a learning experience for the next time around because I'm pretty sure it's probably similar in other niches, but in tech, the seasons repeat every year. Like in January or February, Samsung's going to come out with a new Galaxy phone. Obviously, I didn't even mention in October, Google coming out with their stuff. So in tech, you got January, February, March, April, Samsung's going to, at some point, Samsung's going to do something. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, Apple has their developer conference in June. And then Samsung coming back around in August with their other smartphones. And then Apple's back in September, Google's back in October, and it just repeats every year. So you can get an idea of what's coming year to year if you know what's happening in your niche and in your subject matter area and uh, prepare properly. Yeah, I think just quickly as well, go back to what something I said earlier, what's really important with this. So firstly, don't do what I did, create space in the diary for those, those periods. I, I'm going to do that now. But the other thing is, going back to what I said a moment ago, was that having the process in place. So you know, when Tim Cook takes the stage and starts talking about something, you've got to be ready to react to that. And you might have to create a video about that tomorrow to kind of really jump on the engagement, jump on the trend. To be able to do that, you've got to have a very solid process in place where you watch the event, you get the footage you need, you write the script, if that's what you do. You film it, you edit it, you publish it. And again, you know this vibe. Even just publishing a video, there's so many things you've got to tick and remember to do. Yeah. As long as all of that is in, in a process, you can turn these videos around very quickly. And that is kind of what's got me out of this hole over the last few weeks because I've, I've got these processes in place. So I can do it quickly. And it's still me on my own doing it pretty much. Yeah, that is definitely something which uh, it was a learning learning curve for me. Now, I have a more of a particular question. It doesn't really have much to do with uh, growing or different things like that, but... In your videos, in some of your videos, you describe yourself as an audiophile. Now, I have an idea what the term means because I'm in tech and I, I've seen a lot of videos about audiophiles and what they think. But can you explain to our listeners what an audiophile is and what does that mean exactly? I'm a bit of a casual audiophile, really. I think real audiophiles would probably pull me apart. I just appreciate good sound, really. I know what sounds good. I know what doesn't sound good. So I, I, I've kind of worked in sound my entire life, mainly um, as a hobby, really. I have uh, home studios and stuff. I've worked in live music and things like that. I love it. I, I find all that stuff fascinating. And it's nice to build that into this business. But yeah, I mean, an audiophile is someone really who, a proper audiophile, is someone who really listens analytically to sound, uh, to music. So in theory, they should enjoy the music as well. But they, they listen to everything. So they, they listen to how a pair of headphones, for instance, replicate that sound, how true it is how wide it is, all that sort of stuff. It's a fascinating topic, but it's also, if you thought the Apple versus Samsung thing was bad in terms of trolls and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> nothing like headphones. That's a whole <laughs> other world. If you say the wrong thing about a pair of headphones, <laughs> you're toast, basically. Um, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I wouldn't call myself a full-on audiophile, but <laughs> I love the sound aspect of it. Yeah, yeah the fan base of their respective tech are crazy. I mean... Like you said, headphones, they got a crazy group. Apple and Samsung, they got a crazy group. Sony and Xbox, they got a crazy group. Like, people are just fanatical about all this stuff. So you really got to be careful when you tread <laughs> what you say. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. Sony headphones. If you ever make a video about a pair of Sony headphones, just be ready. Oh, I, I have. You say anything. I bet you have, yeah. I have. <laughs> 
Okay, I got the ethnic bars on tonight, man. So I know you did a video about them too. Yeah, <laughs> I have, absolutely. So I uh, want to kind of pivot here to more YouTube stuff. I've noticed on your channel, uh, Mr. Ellis, that you have zero, unless I'm blind, you have zero YouTube shorts on your channel. So I'm curious to get your thoughts about YouTube shorts. I've got one. There is oh, one. Okay. Yeah, I, I unboxed a uh, the play date, that little uh, yellow thing with the crank. There's only one, though, to be fair. I know you've talked a lot about this with people. I listened to your chat with Rene Ritchie uh, last week, and I know that came up quite a bit with him. Now he's got his new role at YouTube, and that was fascinating to get his input. I'm a bit scared of shorts, if I'm totally honest. Not so much from a production point of view. I mean, it's not really my style, but I do quite enjoy, I enjoyed making different videos, different different styles and stuff. But um, it's more from the fact that I'm, I'm still not comfortable with the way they sit on the channel. Yeah. And this might be a personal preference thing, but whenever I find a creator on YouTube and I like their videos, their standard long-form videos, if I then go to their video listings and there's one standard long form and then there's like 15 shorts, I'll be totally honest, I switch off at that point because it's not, that isn't really the way that you go through shorts. You know, you, you flick them through them on your phone, like the TikTok thing. Right. And I've always thought with shorts, it's, it's YouTube reacting understandably to the TikTok effect. And I think it's caught them completely off guard. And, and Rene kind of alluded to this last week that from our point of view, we just think, oh, just give us a, separate, a different way of displaying shorts not as simple as that. There's a huge machine behind YouTube that they have to make this work. So I'm not suggesting it's a simple solution, but I just think I'm a bit scared about what they could do to my my brand, really, and also the audience. I don't yeah. know if that's fair or not, really. I completely agree with you, which is why I will not do any shorts on my channel currently. I, I won't do it. And I talk to people, as you know, at nauseum about shorts and how you can grow from them and do all that stuff, but I personally will not do them because I don't really like, like you said, I don't like the way they sit on the channel. And I don't like the fact that when you're dealing with shorts, you're dealing with a completely different audience from long-form content. Those mm -hmm. audiences have two different wants and needs in mind. And I'm so used to doing long-form content and where I'm going with my content strategy as a tech reviewer that I'm not really to introduce a short audience to my tech content because I don't think they will mesh well. I just don't. It's not really a mm -hmm. fit in with tech. Now, I know some tech reviewers do it and they have to theft, but... I myself, I'm not comfortable doing that with my tech content, but if you are, more power to you. Yeah, and I've seen some great shorts, to be honest, but they, they yeah. just, I don't know, I'm like you, they, they just don't sit well within the platform at the moment. I, I think they'll, they'll find a way around that and there'll, there'll be a solution for it. The other thing I don't like about them, really, from a creator's point of view, is building that connection with the audience. I hear a lot of people saying yeah. this. I just don't know how you can do that in, in a minute, even in 90 seconds. And I know the idea is that you have to create enough shorts to be seen plenty and i've discovered people on tiktok who i really like but i like watching their short form stuff i wouldn't want to go and watch a long form video by them necessarily so it's a really tricky thing i i do feel for youtube i think that like i said they've been caught on the hop with this and they're trying to work out a way to make it work it's really tricky it is and me and renee talked about this on the podcast the other week ago as well about short creators not having that bond with the uh, viewer because the content is so short and they're just flicking back and forth we talked about more of that in the uh, podcast, Renee, if you guys want to go check back out of my one-on-one uh, -on -one conversation with YouTube's new creator liaison a couple of weeks ago aired now, so it's out there. So, Mark, I want to kind of wrap this up by allowing you to give some points or some to uh, new and upcoming creators out there. You started in 2020. In 2022, you went full-time on YouTube. A lot of creators out there, they do YouTube with the goal of becoming a full-time content creator. So what is some advice you can give some creators who are starting YouTube or at the beginning of their journey that eventually wants to go full-time like you and many others have done? What are some things that you know now that you wish you would have known back then? And what's some advice you can give them? 
I think one of the biggest things I know now, which I, I wish I knew about then, was uh, not to try and do everything. So going back to the Ali Abdal thing, I kind of took him as a template and I saw him doing YouTube, blogging, Skillshare, his newsletter, this, that and the other and thought, right, I just need to do all that stuff. And I kind of did. You know, I've, I've got a couple of Skillshare classes out there. I've got a podcast. I've got the YouTube channel. I've got Medium, all these things. And um Looking back, I don't know how I did all that alongside doing my normal job. It's, it's bizarre. But I think what that taught me was that if I got to do it again, I'd just start slower, really, which sounds strange because this has grown quite nicely. But for instance, if I hadn't created that Skillshare class, I still think the channel would probably be where it is now. That hasn't helped me build the, the channel, really. It's just been this thing that's kind of been on the side. So I, I'd say pick what you really want to do. And that's the key thing, really. Don't feel that you have to create a YouTube channel. If that comes as a result of you starting a blog great fantastic I was, I was having a conversation with someone on my um on my discord server recently and she she wanted to get into both youtube and blogging and, I, and she said but i don't i haven't really got the time i've got a young kid what, what do i do and i said well, which one of those two things do you enjoy the most and she said well writing i said well just, just forget the youtube channel turn it off right and she's done that and it's working out really well so yeah definitely start small don't try and do everything you don't need to these things can happen later on you know you can build off what you start with and the other thing is just consistency i know, I know that's a real cliche with this but um you know peter lindgren's got it tattooed on his arm um big fan of him that c word is so so important and it's very hard as well because um if you turn up every day or every week whatever however many videos you put out each week you'll get somewhere you will get somewhere do that for a year two years and i think again as ali abdul said it will change your life and it's changed my life 100 percent so yeah, do that. The one thing I did do just very quickly, which I think did help, before I created any kind of proper, in inverted commas, videos at reviewing things, I decided to create a diary series. So I spent about five or six weeks basically creating five, I think it was six in the end, or maybe eight actually, videos, which I called diary videos. And that, so if you go right back to the start of my channel, in fact, don't because it's embarrassing, but it's still there. Right back at the start are these eight videos. And uh, the first one is me sat in my kitchen just talking about a book that I'm reading or something. The next one is me talking about a camera that I'm using. Very, very random. But that, that wasn't the point. The point was to get me in front of the camera each week on a set day, no matter what I was talking about, getting used to editing, getting used to uploading and not thinking about the audience or, or the content or anything at all, uh, but just getting into that consistency. And since that period, I've not missed a single week. Even weeks where we've been away on holiday, etc., I have batched content beforehand to, to make up for it. So right from that diary series, it kind of I've kind of kept that consistency going. I think with that uh, GI Joe thing showing up at half the battle, yeah, hundred percent, yeah, it's so and true. See, it's so like you say, we it might sound like a cliche or whatever, but it is so important to be consistent because above all else, if you're consistent, good things will happen. You cannot lose by being consistent and uploading your content or doing whatever it is that you want to do to build something going online. So be consistent, you all, and a good thing will happen. Mark Ellis, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. This has been a delightful conversation, sir. Thank you again. Thank you, Vibe. It's been brilliant. I'm a big fan, and I've really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it as well. If you guys want to follow Mark and all his exploits, I will have all his information down there in the show notes. Definitely go check him out. Check out the YouTube channel. Check out the medium and all the things. The dude is doing big things. He is legit. I appreciate y'all listening to another episode of Tube Talk. Be kind, be safe, and I will come back next week with another episode of Tube Talk presented by Vid IQ. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk brought to you by Vid IQ. Head over to vidiq.com slash tube talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.